Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited. Today, we have Marty Martinez, the CEO of Reach Out and Read. Welcome, Marty. Hi, Laura. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm excited to be here. So good. Awesome. Well, we were really interested to learn about Reach Out and Read. Um, yeah. I'd love for you to tell us about it. Tell you tell us how you really started it, how you get, got mm-hmm. here. Maybe some kind of highlights of your career journey too would be awesome. Sure, absolutely. Um, so it's so it's great to sort of be here and especially to lift up uh, Reach Out and Read, which is an, an amazing organization. Um, you know, it is about a 33-year-old organization that uh, was born about a mile and a half from where I actually live. Um, it was born at Boston City Hospital. Um, and it started basically as an organization started by residents um, who were training to become pediatricians, uh, working, saying, you know, it'd be really great if we could give uh, books to parents of children coming in and getting care. Um, and Boston City Hospital at that time still is, obviously, uh, sort of a safety net hospital, serving children uh, with high need and, res- and, and less resources. Um, and so from 33 years ago, it's grown to we have over 40,000 clinicians all across the country. Our model's implemented in about 6,000 clinics um, in every state in the United States. Um, and so it has just really grown to reach about over 4 million children. So I've been lucky to be the CEO for about four months. Um, I've come into this role as the, as the CEO, having left uh, local government uh, the past four years uh, and came into this role really because it combines so many things I care about. Uh, you know, relationship building for children, uh, building and growing a national organization, um, and really trying to move with urgency to address some of the challenges that impact kids and families. So it's an exciting organization that I've been able to come to. I think the trajectory for me to getting here, I'm a nonprofit guy that took a small detour into uh, local government. I was the chief of health and human services for the city of Boston for four years. Uh, And for the first two years, that meant I did a bunch of things around the social issues we care about. And then the last two years, I was the COVID lead for the city of Boston. Um, So needless to say, I've been through a lot (laughs) in the last several years. Um, so, so, So that then led me to be like, City government, I love you. I'm ready to transition out and win back and, and came here to reach out and read. So I'm super excited. Wow, that's quite a journey. And congratulations on the new position. I, it Thanks. just sounds like it's just full of meaning and purpose, which I think is, is amazing for, for you and others that have that opportunity. For sure. And I was reading on the website about childhood toxic stress and that that really popped out for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how you can tell us more about that and how you feel that childhood toxic stress intersects with physical and mental yeah. health. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really interesting, just like for, for adults, and it's not that much different for children. Sometimes it's magnified. When you experience uh, you know, stressful situations and, and stress in one's life, 
it can have a physical impact, right? We've all been there where maybe we've been in a stressful situation and we think about what's been the physical, you know, side effect from that. Um, some of those are really minor, right? If you're nervous, your, your palms might, might sweat, you might see, have a, a physical reaction to it. Well, for children um, who don't have all the resources and skills developed to know how to handle stressful situations, um, that can actually have a lasting impact on their development. Um, that, that stress has, can, can really ensure that development slows, that relationship building um, is impacted, and that that bond that forms between child and parent um, may not form the way we need it to form so that children can get the best start that they need. Um, so preventing um, that stress from having long-term impact is really at the core of what Reach Out and Read does, right? So we give out books at pediatric wellness visits. We do it for uh, children five and under with uh, pediatricians and family providers and nurse practitioners all across the country. Uh, but we're, we're not just about literacy and books. That is what we do. That's our model in a means of growing healthy relationships between parents and children. We want parents and children to read together. It is a bonding activity that strengthens a child's earliest development and gives them tools and skills uh, to be able to cope with the complicated things that are part of life. And so for us, our model really is, you know, we secretly look like a book literacy program. We are, but we really are about strengthening that earliest relationship so that a child says when, when the stressful things happen in life, especially for young children, especially for low income children, especially for uh, children facing many challenges like COVID and other things, that connection they make with their parent helps them to get some natural supports to overcome those challenges, right? So that toxic stress is sort of, we think about it uh, really as a way that like, we want to overcome it. We want to give ch children the ability to have protective factors um, that can say, okay, I can manage this. Um, at three years old, I can, be, I can have enough supports. Uh, mom and dad care about me or grandma or grandpa care about me and I'm building interactions. So we use books. That's our model to do that. Um, but really, that's really how we think about it and why we're trying to uh, prepare children to overcome it. Wow. So that sitting with a child and reading a book and holding them, right? That yeah. kind of connection that there's a, almost like a physical, there's a physical connection, but a, yeah. you said the emotional connection of, I care about you. Yeah. I want to be with you and spend this time with you. Right. Yeah. And that, 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 I love the way you talked about that being kind of buffering, right. That's yeah. buffering from all those things that are happening outside in the world, this kind of safe mm -hmm. place I can be with my parent or guardian or yeah, uh, that's just beautiful. Um, so much about, I think, you know, this podcast is focused on positive psychology, so yeah. positive psychology at work, but I could really think about some aspects of positive psychology, like meaning like relations, positive relationships, mm. like joy. How do you yeah. think about this idea of positive psychology in the work that you do? Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because I think about it both. It, it's so centrally tied to, um, you know, who we are as an organization, both in what we want to do, but also who we are. And so in the what we want to do is we, we really are building relationships. I mean, that's what it's about for us. And the, and the strategy we use is to create those. We use this phrase moments that matter a lot um, because those moments that matter for children and their parents, but also the moments that matter for a, you know, a pediatrician to a parent, um, the moments that matter for our staff working in community. It's really about like harnessing like the good and harnessing the connection, right? So that's what we do. And so to me that it, it, it you know, directly relates. I think when I think about the work we do as a staff and as an organization, right, we use, um, 
you know, we're in an environment that's really clinical, right? I mean, that's where our, our intervention happens is inside a, you know, a, a wellness visit, right? So we're in an environment that really for not, for lots of parents, especially, is not an environment that's about, um, you know, care and support. It's about fixing things, right? Your child's three, like, why is your child doing this? Like, you know, no more sugary drinks, like all those things that are about like, I'm a new mom or a new dad. Like, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about bonding here, um, but that is so key to healthy development and much more important than the sugary drink, um, even though that's important. A bonding with the child is key. So for, for our staff, we're sort of in the business of trying to ensure that those moments that matter are supported. Um, and so we get to see highlights. We get to hear from clinicians. We get to hear from folks that'll say, you know, um, you know, the book is so powerful, but it really is that connection point that is really exciting and, and, and really creates um, and contributes to what, what we know is to be so central for a child to develop healthy. So I, I will say, I've, you know, again, I've been in this job for about four months and I've been able to visit in person now that we do some of that back again in person, nine clinics uh, across the country. And I've met, you know, amazing clinicians who can describe not only the science and ours is an evidence-based model and all that important stuff, but they can also describe examples where, you know, they've given a, a parent a book for a child who can't can't read, obviously, um, and the the child's so excited, and and a parent realizes for the first time, like, well, the ch- he can't even read. Like, why is he so excited about this book and turning the pages and putting it in his mouth and all that stuff? And the and the and the clinician being able to share with the parent, like, this matters, right? Like, this is helping that child look and think and use his hands. And and when you read to him, he's listening to you, even if he doesn't understand everything. Um, it's Again, it's showing that those moments add up, right? So a lot of clinicians, they don't talk about the science and the evidence, which we all have, and it's super important for us, um, but they talk about the joy they get um, from that connection with the parent and what they see happen with the child. So that is a really great thing for us as staff all across the country, trying to support this to happen. You know, I, I, I love the impact that you're having on the children. And I'm, I remember, you know, one of the best ways to boost your own happiness is to do a kindness for others. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if there are some stories you could share about how the medical staff have been impacted by reading to their patients. Anything mm-hmm. that you've heard? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've definitely heard folks say, and, and especially in the last several years, clinicians, the healthcare field have just, you know, they're overwhelmed. Uh, you know, they're tired. They, you know, we've heard a lot, right? But so many of them have said to us um, in, in these tough times of COVID when we've had to adjust and had to do all these things uh, to meet the needs of children and families, bringing in the book, uh, bringing in that opportunity to give a child a book and give a child something that makes them happy and, and engage has been a highlight for them. Um, so not only have we heard all these individual stories by clinicians, um, you know, I was in I was in Atlanta speaking with clinicians um, in an in a environment um, where they mostly train uh, residents who are getting ready to go be new pediatricians across Georgia. Um, and the and the director there said, listen, when you're moment, she, she was telling me this, which really was meaningful to me. She said, I said, well, what if a clinician comes in and says, listen, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I don't books the literacy. What, what's that? Um, and she said to me, like, I tell them, you know, as a doctor, you're going to have all these high moments, but you're also going to have low moments. And during COVID, we've all experienced those low moments as doctors. And she said, um, 
And I tell them, lean into the moment of these books, lean into the moment of caring and sharing something that's easy, right? It's different when you have to tell the parent that the four-year-old's overweight and you need to think about what you're feeding them and you need to think about those things. All those things matter, but building that relationship, lean into that. It will feel good. It will feel um, like a nice thing, um, but she is like, but it's an essential thing. And so she talked a lot about training new pediatricians that way, using our model to train them that the relationship you build is way more important. Um, and it's also a highlight, especially when you got to deal with tough things. So for me, it's, it's, you know, they really have felt that. I will say we are working on a study with one of our a couple of sites in Philadelphia who are trying to do research about clinical satisfaction, our clinician satisfaction, should I say, and feeling like some initial data is showing that practitioners are talking about how it makes them feel happier, more joy uh, to be implementing our program. Um, it's not, you know, the core reason we do it, but if we can have that added benefit to clinicians, um, especially as we kind of get past COVID, um, it's a true benefit for us and for them. Uh, because again, we're a $15 million organization with 80 staff uh, who we don't count are the 40,000 clinicians who do our program. They do it for free. We don't pay them. Um, and so their happiness and their sort of uh, fulfillment with our model is key for us to continue to grow and impact as many children as we want. And as a quick follow-up, this just popped in my mind because uh, I, I know a lot, of, I live in Boston as well near MGH. Yeah. I know a lot of doctors and they're burned out. Do you think that this program is helping prevent medical staff from burning out? Yeah, there's no, there's no question, right? I mean, we, we feel that, we hear it. Um, on the ground, you know, we have national pediatricians and providers on our board who I talk to pretty regularly. Um, and they talk a lot about our model being um, additive, being something that makes people feel like there's still care and support in the world, uh, in addition to, you know, um, some of the challenges that, that they're experiencing. And as you all know well, in the past couple of years, obviously, trust with your doctor has been an issue that I think you know, has been magnified times 10. Um, and um, no one questions, why are you giving my child a book? <laughs> that never happens. Um, and so it allows them to be in a space that's just, that's meaningful and that has more more uh, happiness to it. So I do think it's, it's, it's impacting um, burnout. Um, and that's why we're really leaning into trying to not only stress the, the science and the data and the development, but also the joy of building that relationship because both are just as important. That's so cool. That's really neat. It's funny, Michael. I was thinking the exact same follow-up. It's like burnout. Um, right. Much about it is right losing touch with your meaning and purpose and why you're even doing what you're doing, right? right. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of people, that's one of the big contributors to burnout. And so that I could imagine yeah. your your work really helping people realize that the impact they can have, mm -hmm. right? The opportunity yeah. to have to make a difference in all these kids' lives. So that's so cool. Yeah. So we get to talk to a lot of leaders, CEOs in the podcast that we do. And one of the things we're always interested in is, you know, how you as a leader, kind of what goes on inside you related to all the things that you do that's outside, right? And so mm -hmm. how your own kind of personal philosophy, how you think about yourself in all of this work, how that, yeah. how that is related to maybe positive psychology or how you see kind of that idea of mm -hmm. walking the talk um, in your work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you when I think about positive psychology, I, I think about, 
you know, positive connections, right? Those, the relationships that get built. Um, and, and for me as a nonprofit CEO, this is the second time I've been the CEO of an organization, I think about the culture and the environment that I helped contribute to create, right? And so I think that those matter tremendously. And so for me, I think a lot about that, right? I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I've been doing as I came on was this like, you know, reach out and read world tour, I like to say, you know, visiting with staff, traveling across the country, even in COVID times, um, to meet staff and clinics and providers, etc., and connecting with folks, right? And there's a lot of senior leaders who get to meet with me re- pretty regularly, whether it's on screen or in person. But one of the things I, I added that I wanted to do is we're doing these these things called Lunch with Marty. Um, and as the new CEO, I, you know, since so much of my staff is across the country, I, you know, I send them a gift card, uh, three or four people get to come on and have lunch with me. We do it during lunchtime. And I say, listen, this is an opportunity that if we were in a virtual break room having lunch, you know, what would we talk about? I'd want to get to know you. You'd want to get to know me. And I'm doing it with the entire footprint of the organization, which can be a, you know, a program assistant who's part-time in South Carolina um, or someone who's helping to raise money in Seattle. Um, all of them get to come on and sort of have this conversation with me. And, 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 and I can tell some of them are sort of like, well, why are we doing this? Like, what, what do you want from us as part of this? Um, and, and it's really for me to just connect, right? I'm their, I'm their national CEO. I'm out there talking about their work, about their raising money building relationships and representing them. Um, and I don't want them to be like, oh, I don't, I never get to talk to the person who's representing our work. So one of the reasons I share that is these lunches, one of the things that I've asked in these lunches as the new guy in, in, in the in the organization, a lot of people give me like, this needs to get fixed and this is the problem and this is what we need to address. Um, but what I've asked them to talk to me about, and my question is, um, is to have them tell me about their, you know, the moment they were proudest to work at Reach Out and Read, right? Um, what's the moment that was like, this is why I do this work. This is what's my mission-driven sort of moment. And, and it's been great to hear folks. I mean, I'm grateful that although I've only been here a short time, most people at Reach Out and Read have been here for many years. Um, so they have many moments that have made them proud, whether it's an exchange with a clinician or a community partner or someone who donated hundreds of thousands of books anonymously so that we could serve more regions and in a city or community. And so those proud moments to me, I think about, I want people to sit in those, right? Because I think that it, it re, uh, reminds you why you're here, um, especially as I come in um, as a new CEO, uh, I'm bringing some change with me. Um, I'm bringing some building up a, a movement and growing it. So when you do some change management things as a CEO, you really want people to sit in uh, what, what motivates them. Um, why they're here, especially if I'm like, so now we're going to do some things that are going to challenge us because uh, more children need us. And so we need to grow and we need to develop systems. But um, I share that because I think about that a lot. I want to make sure I sit in having these mission moments. Um, and I want my staff to do that as well. Um, and it's also something I've integrated with our board members um, who can talk to us about what's, give us a mission moment. You've been in Reach Out and Read 25 years. Like share with me some of those proud moments. So it's, I think a lot about that because I think if you're reminded of it, um, it re- reinforces the positive connections you've had and the positive relationship you have with, with who we are, um, which you can carry, especially when times get tough, um, you can carry some of those with you. So that's just an example, but it's something that I, I've been pretty intentional about. I love that so much that sit in the proud moments. I think that um, you get so busy, right? We get, we go and yeah. we're running so fast and we forget about those proud moments. And sometimes you'll have a flash of memory of realizing, oh yeah, I did that. And I'm like, yeah. wow, I just, I don't sit in it. I love that so much. 
Yeah. And you've talked in a couple different ways about kind of meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in addition to the, you know, sitting in the proud moments, how do you work on, can, you know, making those meaningful relationships happen? What do you think are some of the secrets to making that real mm-hmm. meaning, right? Not just kind yeah. of a superficial relationship, but true relationships. Yeah. I think for, I think for me, it's really trying to bring, you know, not only my full self, uh, to, to my work, but it's also trying to make those engagements, interactions and connections that allow you to focus on, you know, what makes you, what, what makes you happy and brings you joy outside the world too. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just what's happening on, on the screen or in a meeting or whatever, but what those other things are that bring you, that bring you happiness and joy and, and make you connected. You know, I'll say this and it's interesting in my, in my job at the city, I've said this a couple of times, having been the lead for COVID in the city of Boston for two years, um, it was, I flexed every nonprofit muscle I'd ever had in my life professionally, <laughs> right? Um, and I did it uh, quite a bit and I, it was an amazing experience and I learned a lot. But it was also the job that I probably will say was the most isolating professional mm-hmm. experience I've ever had, right? Uh, pre- pretty lonely when you're at top trying to make some hefty decisions um, around schools and life and hospitals and, and things that impact people every day. And so one of the things that I learned a lot about from there is sort of that self-care that you need to bring with you in every moment, right? And so it, it was easy to not think about self-care when you're working, you know, 16-hour days every day for months trying to solve, you know, a pandemic, if you will. Um, but I, I, it's something as I come into this role that I don't want to lose sight of that I think we all need to think about. And so I've talked a lot about that to managers. What, what have we done to make sure that that self-care is central to our work? Um, but also, what have we done to make sure people know that their work matters, right? So I both care about, we both got to care about the individual, but we also want to connect the individual uh, to you know, understand, you know, we, we have a lot of children in crisis across our country and we want to play a role in addressing that. And so that urgency means we gotta, we gotta kind of move forward with, with that sense of urgency at the same time, taking care of ourselves and building supports to be able to do that. Um, so COVID taught me a lot about that because no one cared about, <laughs> I didn't care my, my own self-care. And I cared very little about what we were trying to do, but we didn't have the time to do it. Um, when you're not working in emergency, you should have the time to do it. Um, and you have to think about it. Otherwise, you won't have, you know, that the, the strength uh, internally to do what you need to do. It's just so easy to give everything, right? Especially in yeah. this like pandemic, in this yeah. awful situation that you just keep giving and then you don't have anything left. Right. Um, and it's just, it's awful. I'm so glad you're sending that message of self, self-care. And I think it's really cool how we've broadened what that means, right? It's not yeah. just taking a break or making sure you have eat right. lunch, right? It's so right. much bigger than that. It's so much more about the things that we do to ourselves and our heads, right? Around yeah. you know, having more self-compassion. Um, really- I, I will, I, you're, you're right. And I will say this clinician in New York City said to me, see, you love clinician at her mm-hmm. hospital. She said, you know, self-care is not like you know, an email that goes out and says, hey, there's an ice cream truck, you know, four <laughs> blocks down the street and we're giving you a $10 coupon and it's next, you know, 10 days from now and you take 30 <laughs> minutes to go do that. Right. And I was like, you know, I laughed. And she's like, no, our hospital did that. And everybody was like, what is this? This is not. A water <laughs> so, right, bottle. It's, right, right. It's not a one moment kind of, it's yeah. like a trajectory of, of how, you, how you do things. But I will say as a CEO who has high expectations and have been in environments 
uh, where I need to produce and people need to produce, you really do have to balance that, right? Because I am one of those, like, so we got to move, we got to move, we got to move. Let's not lose sight at the end. Uh, but that can't, you, you'll never move if you don't uh, set up systems and create a culture where people can take care of themselves and what they need. Right. It's the, it's yes. And right. It's both yeah. of those things. And we're, both. we as human beings aren't really great about yes. And right. Yeah. It's like, we always think it's one e- or either the other. Or. Yes. Yeah, either or. Yeah. Yes. Can't do both. <laughs> we have to. Go ahead, Mike. Marty, I love this. The, uh, the self-care and we got to move, we got to move. That's that's how I operate. Yeah. But on the, yeah. we got to move, we got to move. Uh, as we close out, I'm curious, what's, what are some big goals that you have? What What's a big mark you want to leave now that you've yeah. been there for four months and you've gotten to see things? Yeah. Uh, what's a big goal you have for Reach Out and Read? Yeah. So, you know, our goal is we want, every, we want to touch every child in the United States. I mean, there's 20 million children, five and under in the, in the country. We touch about 4 million of them today um, for in 33 years. We t- we, that's how many children we touch uh, on a yearly basis. And so for me, it is to grow. It is to grow with quality, it is to grow with fidelity. Um, it's to, to grow our reach. Um, and that's a huge piece for us. I'll also say, you know, if you're thinking about the health of children in your community or the health of children in your state, um, I want to, one of my goals is to make sure that you're thinking, well, what does Reach Out and Read think about this? What, what are they doing, right? I mean, we are clinicians, we are nonprofit staff, we have, you know, resources and the health of children, we're directly tied to that. So one of my big goals is to increase our visibility. Uh, which is really important. A lot of people say we're the best kept secret in Charlotte, North Carolina, or in Dallas, Texas. I'm like, who wants to be the best kept secret? I don't. I don't. That's not what I want. We're, we're going to increase this visibility uh, so we can make that reach, which is super important. Um, so we're, we're going to do do that work. Um, and I think for me, as we grow, as we increase our visibility, it's really to be really focused on making sure um, that we people know what we care about. Um, we have deep opinions about the development of children across this country, and we need to make sure people know that. Um, so for me, it's a combination of those pieces that are really critical. I'll say for me personally, um, it is nice coming back into the nonprofit uni- uh, you know, universe, if you will. Um, it's nice to be in sort of a, a lane of thinking again about how to move something and grow something um, in a way that can truly make an impact little different than city government. But for me, that's some of my goals, which I'm excited to meet with this amazing team that's already here. I can't believe that statistic that you're, you're already reaching 20% of your target population that that's, you you are a big kept secret. (laughs) (laughs) We are. That's the problem, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, amazing. Well, you know, as we close out, um, were there any great questions we forgot to ask? Something that, you know, we, we have an audience right now. What would you like to say that you yeah. haven't touched on? No, I just, the only thing I would say is I just, I really appreciate this notion of thinking about, you know, how we, um, you know, to go back to our own language, how we create moments that matter, right? That's what we use when we think about the work of our model. But I think we got to think about it for ourselves as individuals, right? How do we create those moments that matter for us? Um, in the workplace and organizations and our connections with people and in our mindset. Um, it's easy to, it's easy to get focused on the things that send us down the wrong, the wrong hallway. And so I really do think a lot about that myself um, when I think about um, the work we want to make happen both professionally, but also personally. Marty, thank you so much for the time today. I, you, you filled my happy bucket, just like having this. Interview. So I, I appreciate <laughs> there it. There you go. There you yes. go. Thanks so much, Marty. That was wonderful. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.